name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Christmas and Epiphany are sort of a celebration of how normal God has become. He is so much like us that he doesn't even really look all that godly. After all, it was a star that led the, the, the magi to him. Nothing really in him. He just kind of looks like a baby. There he is. He's conceived and he's carried to term. He's born and he's nursed. He has parents. He grows and he learns. And then he is even baptized as one of us. He looks very much like one of us. God's humanity is so strong that I wonder if sometimes they forgot who they were actually dealing with. Maybe they forgot who Jesus was. They knew that he was special, but could he really be God? They've seen him do things. Does that mean that he is God? Could this really be the one who spoke the world into being? Could this really be the one who would take our sins away from us? Who would restore life to the creation? So Jesus takes the closest three disciples on something of a hike, and they were shown Jesus in all of his godly glory, shining like the sun, speaking with Moses and Elijah, and even his clothes are shining. Moses and Elijah are there. They had been gone for a very long time. Both of them, Moses and Elijah, had rather curious ends. And so it makes sense that they're the ones who show up there at the Transfiguration. These are the Old Testament figures, the law and the prophets. They're conversing with Jesus. Very old. Kind of strange. God had buried Moses. You can't find his grave. Elijah had been carried up to heaven in a whirlwind. You won't find his tomb either. And we don't know what they're talking about, but it's clearly not their first conversation. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are old friends, older than we can even begin to understand. But there they are. With God as God. With the greatest heroes of the Old Testament, Moses, who had taken God's people out of slavery and delivered them into the promised land, and the other one, Elijah, who had called down fire from heaven. So, St. Peter's reaction might as well have been our own. He's not wrong. Well, let's just stay right here. This is great. This is really interesting. Let's stick around. We don't know how long this whole event happened. There he is. Maybe we should stay. And before he can finish his words, though, Peter is interrupted by a bright cloud and a voice speaking from the bright cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. How often do we make God in our own image? How often do we try and 
fit what we want into the scriptures? Do I form the scriptures to say what I want them to say, if I even care about it at all? And now, anyone believes in any God they want now. I think this or that about God. Or God would do or wouldn't do this or that thing. Or the good old Jesus was a good teacher, but that's it. Feel free to insert your own special little thing that you think God might or might not feel or do here. Ask yourself where that comes from. It's very tempting, of course. That's the way it goes with the theology of glory, though. The way of thinking about God that says that he does what we want, and then that is that. Sometimes, sometimes what we want God to do or be isn't even that bad. Of course God would want us to be unified. Of course God wouldn't want us to suffer. It all sounds good. So we find ourselves in good company with St. Peter. Let's just build some shelters. I mean, as if Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, who are like clearly shining as immortal beings, need any sort of roof over their heads. They don't. They're fine. But Peter is not stupid when he says these things. No. And they make sense. Peter's not stupid, and neither are you. But I can see how you might be so afraid, terrified. As he is there cowering on the ground on that mountaintop, surrounded by the glory of the Lord, the very voice of God speaking to him. When you are humbled by the Lord, it is only so that that Lord would raise you up and restore your dignity in himself. Peter is fallen on the ground, flat on his face, and he is very much afraid. And he cannot even bring himself to lift his head because he is afraid of what he might see. He was interrupted by the voice of the living God. You would be frightened as well. So, Jesus comes to him. Touches him. And how does Jesus touch him? What is Jesus' reaction to Peter's foolishness? Now remember this in the previous chapter. This is the same Peter who Jesus had been talking with him and, and actually telling him, I'm going to go and I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer. And then after three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And Peter's reaction to that is not fantastic, whatever you say, but no way. You are not going to do that, Jesus. Peter thought he knew better than Jesus, and Jesus rebukes him. Hey, get behind me, Satan. Stop opposing me. Peter does not have all the right answers. And sometimes he's actually really wrong. So there, Jesus only comes to Peter 
He touches him. And he says, rise and have no fear. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him. We look for God all over the place. We look for God out in the wilderness or in the woods on top of a mountain. We look for God in in the bottle or wherever else. We look for our own God in government and all sorts of earthly things. And every single one of those things will only end in fear and disaster and death. The gods that we make on our own simply are not good gods because they will fail you every single time. Listen to the living God. Listen to Jesus, who has touched you in holy baptism, even though you were lost and foolish. And listen to Jesus, who has touched you and who has spoken to you. Rise and have no fear. And I dare say that we are up against it these days in the church. No one is going to make this easy for us. What we once thought of as kind of common morality is absolutely out the window. Anything that we thought we should be taking, or that, that everyone else took for granted, it's gone. But rise and have no fear. You. This is for you. Rise and have no fear and teach your children to listen to Jesus and teach them to have no fear. Baptize them into the cross, into this resurrection. Go to those who are cowering in the wake of their own mistaken assumptions about God. Touch them too. Speak to them. Rise and have no fear. Go to those who are terrified of the living God. Those who have made their own God. Those who have found a bad God. Tell them to listen to Jesus. Rise. Have no fear. For really, what is there to fear? Your God goes to the cross. And he is raised from the dead. This is no abstract well-wishing. This is no cleverly devised myth. It's not even really a mystery anymore. It's been revealed to you. The cure for death. This is the actual hope. You have something to have faith in more even than what Peter had. You have this word. Have no fear. You have something better than just trying to build a hut for shiny Jesus and his friends because he doesn't stay up there. He goes back down the mountain. And he goes on up to Jerusalem. And he ascends another mountain. Golgotha. Calvary. And there on a cross, lifted up for all the world to see, He speaks no words of rebuke again, but only love and forgiveness and mercy and prayer. And where was Peter? Where was Peter? Oh, poor Peter. He was so afraid again. 
He was afraid enough to deny and to reject Jesus three times. Even after he insisted that he would never do such a thing. Jesus has absolutely every reason in the world to get rid of Peter. To curse him. To cast him down. To be angry with him. And yet, raised from the dead, Jesus instead draws ever closer to Peter, touches him again, and says, have no fear. Do not be afraid. It's me. And then Jesus goes even further. He restores Peter. He gives him his life back. And he sends him out to feed the church. Jesus is not afraid. He's patient. So we are not afraid. Have you placed your hope and your faith in anything else? Are you afraid? Have you fallen down? Fearful and terrified of what might come your way? Well, then this is for you. Rise and have no fear. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.